Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. A number of years ago, John Piper wrote a wonderful little book called 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die. And Piper lays out the case in 50 very short sections why Jesus had to die. And of course, we'd recommend that little book to anyone. But in order for Jesus to die, he had to be born. And that's what this Advent season is all about. So we're asking the question, why did Jesus have to be born? So leading up to this Christmas, we're not giving 50 reasons, but 15 reasons for Jesus's birth. And this morning, we're looking at reason number eight for why Jesus had to be born. Um, Jesus had to be born in order to bring the Old Testament priesthood to an end and become the eternal high priest. I just wanted to just throw a little tidbit out there. Um, This is one of the things that John Calvin especially, but a lot of the Reformers were very good at. They looked at it and said, the Old Testament was all about pointing to Jesus Christ, and specifically in the three offices, primary offices of the Old Testament, we see being fulfilled um, fully in Jesus Christ, the offices of prophet, the offices of priest, and the prophet office of king. And so in Jesus Christ, all three of those offices, prophets, priests, and king, are being fulfilled, he was what they ought to have been. And as today we're just as looking you're pointing at out, those are the anointed offices. Anointed ones. And when we talk about Messiah or Christ, we are talking about the anointed one. And he, he does fulfill the, that's, that's what Messiah means. He's right. the anointed. So that's what Russ is referring to. Okay, so let's just ask the question then. Um, what did the Old Testament priesthood entail? What was the purpose of it? Because it's so different than what we see today, right, in the church as, as in terms of a pastor. What was the Old Testament priesthood? Right, well, uh, the, priest, the priest is one who stands between. The, the priest is uh, one who stands between God and the people. And in the Old Testament sense, they are, they are the ones who carry out the sacrifices. They, they make the sacrifices, the, and the people, bring their, the people bring their own offerings. But it's the priest who makes the sacrifice where the animal is slain or where the green offering is offered, whether it's in the tabernacle or the temple, uh, they, they bring the sacrifice for the putting aside sin, putting away sin, so that, so that the people can approach God in worship. And so I think the idea is that when we talk about an Old Testament priest, we're also supposed to, to in our mind, capture everything that goes along with it, which is the entire sacrificial system. Right. Um, and so what you have in the the Pentateuch, the first five books, is is not only just a history of the God's people, but there's also this in, uh, extensive system of if you do this sin, what sacrifice is required? If, what is required for this offense to, to God? And so it's laying out 
the necessary sacrifices and the necessary requirements for those that serve within at that point, the tabernacle that eventually would become the temple, what was the role of the priest in that sacrificial system? And so when we think about a priest, we're thinking about those that, as Phil said um, so well, they're the ones that are called by God, set apart by God to serve within the temple and to serve within the tabernacle and bring and offer up the sacrifices of the people to God for the sins of the people. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I think over the last 100 plus years, uh, there was a theology that was very popular, especially at the beginning of the 20th century called dispensationalism. And the the classic form of dispensationalism, I think um, drew a very hard line between the Old Testament and the New Testament, even going so far as saying that some of the, the way that the Old Testament people were saved was through the ceremonial law or through uh, the moral law. Um, so I would just ask this question to you, brothers. Did the sacrifices of the Old Testament, so the priest brought these sacrifices before the Lord for the people, did those sacrifices actually take away sin? No. <laughs> in, a, in a word, no. Uh, and, and the Old Testament prophets tell us this. Uh, in, in, in numerous places, um, that, um, the, the blood of bulls, the blood of, the blood of animals, um, they, they, they don't put away sin. And in fact, sometimes they become a stench in God's nostrils. Uh, the whole, in the new Testament, the whole book of Hebrews is devoted to this, uh, to show that the whole old Testament sacrificial, then it, it was, it was given by God. The Old Testament sacrificial system uh, was ordained by God, given by God, but it's a sign. It's po- it's pointing forward to something. It's pointing forward to the ultimate sacrifice that will be made uh, by Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, so it's very important that we we absolutely know we, do, we don't believe that those animal sacrifices in some way took away sin. What they did is they pointed forward to Christ and, and his sacrifice on the cross. And that was meant to be the understanding that it did, you know, it was pointing to the the one who the Lord will make a sacrifice for us. You know, the you know, Moses I mean, Abraham recognized that when he said the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um and I and I think you know you know even the confessions point to this you know um, where it says can any other creature any uh, all pay this debt for us and the answer is no to begin with God will not punish any other creature for what a human is guilty of furthermore no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it so what kind of mediator and deliverer should we look for the one who is true and righteous man, yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, the one who is also true God, that is, who came in the flesh to be born uh, as our Savior. For unto you is born a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Um, The book of Hebrews sometimes is, I don't know, people might tend to avoid it, but it's really Hebrews chapter 7 through 10 that really work this idea of Jesus coming as, as the true priest of God and the true sacrifice of God. And near the end of that development of that thought in in Hebrews 10, we read, and every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. 
And they knew that. They knew that that what they were doing at was, least the remnant did. That's I mean, right. There, there were Pharisees yes. that that believed that the ceremonial law cleansed them of their sin. And so the yeah, so the hope of those that had true faith understood that when they offered up a, a, a goat or a, a sheep or a, a bull or or whatever it was, a turtle dove, whatever the sacrifice was, that that was pointing beyond that actual sacrifice. It was saying we're offering this with an eye of faith to the true sacrifice that will come, right. um, to the one who will take away sin forever. And then Hebrews 10 goes on to say that, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And that, that's what faith was in the Old Testament. It was seen in the king, the true king. It was seen in the priest or the sacrifices, the true priest and the true sacrifice. It was seen in the prophet, the true prophet to come. Yeah. That's what mm-hmm. faith was in the Old Testament. Yeah. And faith in the New Testament, in the New Covenant era, is looking back and saying, I see in the Gospels the fulfillment of all that was predicted in the Old. Yeah, You know, mm-hmm. maybe some of our listeners aren't, Never have never heard that idea that Jesus fulfilled those three main offices of prophet, priest, and king. And if that's you, I would just say, go take a look. Just Google uh, shorter catechism. And uh, this was a document that the reformer or the Puritans had made in the 17th century. And if you look at question 24, 25, and 26, it actually asks the question, how does Christ execute the office of a prophet? And then the next question, how does Christ execute the office of a priest? And then the next question, how does Christ execute the office of a king? And and if you understand what um, the catechism is saying there, suddenly all the Old Testament will open up to you because then you'll realize, oh, Moses was this prophet of God, but there's a true and better prophet, Christ. Oh, Aaron was the priest of God, but there's a true and better prophet, Christ. David was the true king of God, or the the king for God, but there's a true and better king, namely Christ. There's a good book that um, David Murray wrote called Jesus on Every Page, and it's 10 chapters, but three of the chapters are about how Jesus fulfilled the different offices of the Old Testament. And and once you begin to understand this concept, what happens is the Old Testament is not just simply stories of events that happened long ago. They're pictures of Jesus Christ. They're pictures of the true Messiah to come. And that's what um, Jonathan, a couple days ago, had referenced a book that I just want to um, reference today, um, the Jesus Storybook Bible, um, every page whispers his name or every story whispers his name. Um, then you begin to read the Bible differently and realize, oh, the Old Testament isn't just about David. Yeah. It's about the true David. Yeah. It, it, I mean, and it, I think it would will... Um, and you could say that about every single yes, figure. That's correct. Jesus is the true and better Noah, the true and better Isaac, the true and better Abraham, mm-hmm. um, the true and, and better Jeremiah, the yep. suffering prophet in the book of Jeremiah. I mean, he's the true and better uh, lambs that were slain on the Day of Atonement. I mean, mm-hmm. in every single case, every picture is that kernel that is fully fulfilled in Christ. And that's really the message of the book of Hebrews. Yeah, let me, let me share one more verse from Hebrews. Um, I, and I think it might be my favorite. Um, and this is in Hebrews uh, chapter 4. And beginning with verse 14, since then, 
we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. That's, that's the, the blessing, the wonderful gift of his true humanity. He, 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 he sympathizes with our weaknesses. Uh, he walks beside us. He came to be one of us. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He's the perfect sacrifice. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Uh, That's the gift of the birth of Jesus. And as we come by faith in him and place our faith in him, uh, that we with confidence come to the throne of grace because of his high priesthood. That's right. And the sense is that Jesus continues to serve as a a priest in the heavens now for us. And the understanding is that Jesus ever makes intercession for his people and his intercession is his presence um, before God. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. his presence in the heavens is a testimony to the the satisfaction of his sacrifice by the Father. And so he continually makes intercession because in Christ it's as if we're in the heavens already with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we sin, the Father simply needs to look at his Son and says, okay, that sin was covered by the Son who's here. It's not as if Jesus needs to actually pray and intercede. His presence is his continuous intercession. Mm-hmm. Well, you've been listening to The Gospel for Life. If you've missed any of these broadcasts, just subscribe to The Gospel for Life. Check us out also at ReformationBoise.com. Um, you can see this year's conference um, and our speakers. And uh, very soon we'll be putting up information for our conference this next year. So um, we will see you next time. 